to Goals on Film, a part of the Edge of the Crowd Network. I'm your host, Jackie. And today on this episode where we look at seven days in hell, I have Jason and Lauren with me today. So how are the both of you? I'm doing really well today. It's a really nice day here in Melbourne and very happy to be on the podcast with you both. Um, I'm doing pretty well. It's 10.24 p.m. so I'm a little little tired but I'm really happy to you know be on here and talk about this movie. Yeah it's um quite the movie if you can call it that given that it's a a mockumentary and b 45 minutes long uh, but because the Australian Open is starting on to the day of release so the 17th of January we thought we'd do a tennis movie before we get into uh all of the Winter Olympics movies we want to do. <laughs> And this was possibly the most amusing choice. And also there's some other ones that we want to save for the US Open and Wimbledon and the French Open. <laughs> but uh, I thought we'd go through like a basic synopsis. Um, as I said, it is a mockumentary style film and it's quite short, but it is based on or inspired by the Eisner Mahut match in 2010 at Wimbledon. And whilst there's a lot of embellished details, uh, it is still got that comedy of just how long the match is. So Andy Sandberg plays Aaron Williams, who is the adopted son slash adopted brother of Venus and Serena, and Richard is Richard Williams is the father, and Charles Poole, who you could say is an Andy Murray type character but like not necessarily and it goes into a little bit of the backstory of both of their characters and then also has the match and the absolute shenanigans that occur in said match but we'll look at first the references to history that were made so as I said there is that 2010 match from Wimbledon um, which changed how tennis how what occurs at tennis and at Wimbledon nowadays because you can no longer have a 70 to 68 fifth set but um I guess the first thing that has to be said is the match (laughs) the Eisner Mahut match did not go for seven days it went for a grand total of three days but really took 11 hours and five minutes yeah not quite the length that um you sort of saw in the movie Seven Days in Hell with that seven-day stretch. But, yeah, it was a huge game um, between Eisner and Mahut back in 2010, and that's obviously what this film is loosely based on. But, as you said, it changed the course of uh, fifth sets at Wimbledon. A couple of years later, they did away with having to win by more than two games in the fifth set. And I think it caps itself at 12 all now until it goes into a tiebreaker. But yeah, that game sort of paved the way in how we see games played out at Wimbledon now. I think it's also cool to say that that's also how it goes with the US Open and the Australian Open, but not the French Open, which is kind of kind of suspicious. But I, I really I really enjoyed how it mocked the whole entire three day long type of thing and how like both y'all said it changed the rules of tennis which I'm honestly thankful for yeah I vaguely remember this match going on I would have been in like year eight at the time but just like hearing that it's like yeah this is a first round tennis match 
that is currently in day three and like partially Wimbledon tradition is to blame for this because I think that it wouldn't have gone on for the three days had it been at the US Open or the Australian Open just with how they play it but at the same time it's like oh boy but there is another sneaky reference it's not as acknowledged and that is the reference to the 2004 French Open which yes different tournaments but the Aaron Williams being the second seed at the tournament and going through to the final being two sets to love up and then blowing it um that's what happened at the French Open in 2004 because Gilmero Correa was six love six three up and then ended up losing to Gaston Gaudio they are both Argentinian. In the case of the movie, I believe the opponent is Belgium. But <laughs> it's just one of those funny little like references of a player blowing up and then not necessarily disappearing because Correa didn't disappear. He still made a quarterfinal in 2005 and a fourth round in 2005 as well at different tournaments, but never got to that success again. Um and also then, of course, you just have the entire reference to history of being Serena's presence in the movie and also John McEnroe's presence in the movie. Yeah, some nice little cameos from there. Obviously, they went with the idea that uh, Andy Samberg's character, Aaron Williams, was adopted by the Williams. And so it made sense to have um, her in that movie as a little cameo role and then John McEnroe as all he's done throughout his tennis career and continues to do as well just to have those little bits of commentary throughout it um, obviously being at the height of the game as well and potentially seeing some of the um, some of the sorts of things that went on during the movie um, sort of how the characters sort of interacted and how that sort of played out as well and I'm sure he'd have a first-hand account of most of those things so it just brought a sense of like reality I think into it by including the cameos of their those tennis stars. I think also having those two stars was amazing and also having them like agree to be part of this type of funny like business per se and kind of be able to like let loose with their creativity. I thought this that really made it, especially with how high profile all these athletes are. And I personally, as an American who always looked up to Serena Williams, just loved and loved seeing her just be like, yeah, this is like how we raised Aaron Williams and our family and just like being free to express all that stuff. And I think we also see a little cameo of her dog. And I thought that was adorable. Yeah. And I guess the question is less how they connect it to the film because it's very silly. Um, and more of a, why do we actually like this film is the next question. I think it was, for me, it was just that you don't really sort of expect what's coming at any point of the movie. Uh, you know, it is a mockumentary. It is aiming and intending to make fun of the sports, this sort of situation, the long duration of the game and everything that sort of happens throughout those seven days that, you know, the game sort of takes place. And, yeah, like I said, you just don't know what's going to happen from scene to scene. You know, there's moments there where it's just you know, out of hand, it's funny, it's like, you know, you're just like, what the heck? Like, you're like, you know, I just, I don't know, there's just so many moments where it just makes you chuckle, 
or you know even even more um burst out into laughter just because of how silly it is um yeah you just don't know what to expect there were some moments where you were just like oh what like um I know that yeah there were some moments there where I was just like oh is that like too far is that like what I want to see but like you know it's all part of that comedy and that mockumentary style it's very HBO um yeah I guess that's what I was going for <laughs> It is very, very HBO, and that's, I, I personally just love HBO movies like that, and just in general, but also, I used to play tennis, and I grew up as a tennis athlete, and the stressors of the sport can be beyond what people anticipate, and I think, like, this having, like, the silliness and the comic relief and the ability to just throw curveballs everywhere um, really kind of lets it all go, and kind of shows like the funny side of what tennis can be even though this movie is not like a true account of stuff it's just kind of there for comedic relief and just like a good like what if like this is actually what happened and being like just having fun with it and that that's just what I really liked about this movie yeah and also like there's characters in it that aren't even really based on specific people but like you know them um so Charles Poole's mum is the perfect example like it's not an exclusive thing to tennis but there is something about tennis parents and them just being absolutely nuts that is well known and you can look at even in the current climate right now like Novak Djokovic's dad just saying out-of-pocket shit and also like Bernard Tomic's dad getting into incidents it's just like there is something about tennis parents where it just it's good for like tv and movies it's also like soccer parents especially soccer parents in the U.S. they're just like so wacky and like like you said Jaggy it's like the characters aren't based off of like one specific person but like uh Charles Poole's mom but they're like based on like the collective group and I think that that is exactly just kind of what made this movie really fun and being like oh I've seen these parents I've had teammates who had these parents before it's it's one of those things that I just love. I thought we'd look at who the most relatable character in the film is so this is the um I'm not going to do it for this one, but it is typically the Leo points himself, points at himself on the screen in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood segment. But I think that you can't actually see yourself in a single character in this movie. (laughs) So aside from Serena Williams being kind of relatable, who is the most relatable character in your guys' eyes? I, I don't know. I'd honestly say Poole just because like, with all the antics that were going on, um, you know, within the seven-day match, you know, I'd probably get a bit, you know, agitated, frustrated, upset at everything that was happening as well. And I'd just be like, let's just get on with the game. And, you know, I would literally, like he did, just lay on the court out of, you know, sort of just frustration and just, (laughs) you know, just like, what the hell is happening? Um, Yeah, I think that I would just want to, like, get on with it. Um, especially if I was up, you know, a couple of sets as well, or, you know, heading towards the end of the game. Um, yeah, just all of those instances that kept the game progressing along throughout all those days, I'd just get, yeah, really upset by all of that. So I can understand what his feelings and his emotions were like. <laughs> I'd say also for me, be pool for like exactly the same reason that Jason just said, 
but if we're gonna go on like other people who I feel like could relate to Aaron a lot just from kind of going off with like a lot of swagger and everything and just like just kind of being like a big shot um that's not really so relatable to me when I was playing like I did have a lot of swagger but I never thought it was a big shot so I think like maybe the whole swagger part when playing is probably like the way I can relate to Aaron but I cannot relate to him in like any of the other ways like having three sums on the court during a like (laughs) like those antics are just stuff I cannot like don't do in my life I don't think anyone does that in their life in the middle of a tennis (laughs) match per se and especially (laughs) what for like eight hours or something wasn't it (laughs) (laughs) I mean there could be people out there who do do that just like on concrete courts at a park and you never know (laughs) look there are public decency laws for a reason (laughs) so you wouldn't have said in your last match later tennis (laughs) No, I would not have said later tennis, like, bye, no. I didn't need, like, an actual reason to be like, adios tennis. No, but I know people that probably (laughs) would do that. I also think the journalist, not the one played by Michael Sheen, definitely not him, but um, the one played by William Ford, Sandy Picard, who wrote the book on Aaron Williams, is quite relatable, just in the sense of, like, being an avid follower of someone for so long, and, like, romanticizing it in like the most nonsensical way of just like almost trying to make excuses but also um Fred Armisen's character of Edwin Pudding who is the former president of the All England Club and just his reactions to everything like like when David Copperfield like appears on Charles Poole's shoulders and just being like it's the worst thing that's ever happened to tennis also, you could even say stuff of like being relatable to the queen. Queen, the queen just let him fight, and I'm just like, honestly, if I was there, I'd be like, they're going to fight anyways. You might as well just let him fight. Like, I do that too. I reckon the queen had like some of the best lines too, like voice messages. Yeah. Everything. Charles, it's the queen. So here's there the. <laughs> Yeah, those voice messages getting more and more unhinged and angry. Um, It's one of those things where it just, like, it elicits laughter from you that, like, shouldn't be that easy. (laughs) It's just because you wouldn't expect the Queen to say all that sort of stuff, like, you know, away from the spotlight. (laughs) Maybe she's like that, you know, at home at Buckingham Palace, but we don't say that. Yeah. We would never be getting to see that. And maybe it would humanise her more if we did. <laughs> but um, the next segment is one that clearly based on the having threesomes on the middle of the court is not, this movie is not super true to the sport, but the actual tennis play, how true to the sport do you think it is? And I might just start with saying, oh boy, a lot of those serves were actually false. <laughs> like a lot you cgi'd that and that ball is still not in yeah there were some moments there where i did think the same um and especially when they were going back and forth with a couple of rallies i think there was a really big rally where they were both close to the net and you know you had the shot of um pool and the shot of uh williams just you know interchangeably and there were some moments there where i was like 
I think this is like so you know done by CGI because the ball was like going different directions. There are some. I think there were even some scenes where like I didn't even see the ball being hit, and I was like, <laughs> um, I don't know if that was the same with you guys, but um, that was something that I thought I saw or didn't see. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that in terms of like the game of tennis, I don't think like stuff like that would routinely happen. I think that you know people would be trying to aim to get a point. I know that in that scene in particular and in a couple of others, they were just like sprawled out on the ground or on their knees or something like that. But I think that, yeah, in a real game of tennis, there'd be more of a intention to actually win points and um, not just, you know, contest for a really long rally. No, the start of that rally at the net, it looks more like a doubles rally than it does a singles rally. Like there's net rallies in doubles that look similar to that and then it obviously once they're both lying on the ground and throwing their rackets at the ball rather than actually trying to hit the ball you're like okay that's that's not the same thing but yeah honestly what those like rallies reminded me of was in like Wii Sports Tennis where all you had to do was like you know take the remote and go Wii for like eight seconds just to be able to hit the ball and stuff in like the most random places that's what that reminded me of so much because it's obviously not realistic um, I think like really maybe the only part that was true to tennis was how fast the serves were going like but even those are way too that, like, fast like 147 I mean, yeah. miles per hour is too, that's not a serve in tennis and there was one that went for like oh yeah I mean, something as well that was ridiculous I mean that's the only thing I could find that was like the most true because there are serves that go really fast but not that fast right at the Australian the one thing I did I think that the like a best is typically like a 212 kilometers per hour though not miles per hour and 160 k's per hour is 100 miles per hour so like it's def that yeah. might be getting close-ish to the 140s but it's nowhere near 170 right the only reason i said that it was truer is just because the serves go really fast Wimbledon and all the tournaments that that's the only reason I said that was true I don't actually think that that is like true to the point there's not a server that's going to go 174 miles per hour unless they have like the bionic arm but the one thing that I guess could be also deemed true but like I've never seen it is that Charles Poole was a lefty and a righty he literally would hit forehands with both there was no backhand nothing it's like he just switched the rack and everything and I don't think I've actually seen that on pro tennis players before but I mean I'm um, not saying that can't happen I mean it's some are ambidextrous but like there's definitely right. a preferred side and there's also like it's the lack of the backhand that is the like weird yes. thing because like a backhand is a weapon for a lot of players but yeah I've seen players like switch hands but even then it's still not common and it's not like something that number two in the world would typically have either but it's also not like every other hit because what pool was yeah. doing was like if he was going like one right-handed thingy and then when williams hit it back he went lefty like that's that's not the common thing no no that's so, but <laughs> like, i mean it's be, it'd be different said, if it was a two-handed forehand <laughs> as i said the lack of the backhand is like that's the like that's actually the crux of the thing is you're like how do you not have a one-handed or a two-handed backhand used at all in this movie like when I was growing up learning tennis we called it the ballistic backhand and I'm like well where's the ballistic backhand homies like I, I need that in my life <laughs> I need that in a mockumentary anyways 
Um, as far as acting performances go, who do you think had some of the best? Um, I think it's hard to go past, you know, Andy Samberg. And that's how we sort of equate his acting as well, um, is being that comedic person, that sort of unhinged character. Um, yeah, he usually does a lot of comedy movies and TV shows. So that's how we've grown to know him over the course of his acting career. So I thought that he really brought that out again. But I think for someone who only sort of knows Kit Harrington from, say, like a Game of Thrones, to see him in this role, which, you know, is a comedic role, but he's probably like one of the more sort of serious pe people and characters in the movie. Um, I think, yeah, it just sort of showed to me, like, you know, the range of sort of roles that he could do and sort of slip into. And, yeah, I thought that he played that really that role of Charles Poole really well. He has the range. I, I, um, I didn't watch Game of Thrones, so I wasn't, like, familiar with Kin like, that way. But I do agree with you, the fact that he could go from a serious type of character and everything to go to, like, a comedic relief, even, like, with um Charles Poole being like a serious kind of character you get like the funny side out of Poole especially when he can only say like one word during <laughs> interviews so so his mom like make like to make his mom happy like that's something to like be able to portray in like a good way and like a good like convincing way too well also like the thing about like the humor in Kit Harrington's role, other than saying, I think it's indubitably like a bunch of times, it's not in the lines, it's in how he like physically acts and also his facial yeah. acting, like the constant pursed lips to look like a cat's butthole. And then also it's in one of the scenes where the queen cusses him out. And he just goes and like stands in a closet with his face to the wall. And it's just like, does that need to be as funny as it is? No. <laughs> but does it work? Yes. The body um, language I, was just unmatched, <laughs> unmatched there. It was so good. I'd also give credit to Andy Sandberg's wigs um, because all of them are awful and yet all of them are hilarious. And the way that it is played out, like every single character's reaction or like retelling of the wig getting pushed off his head um late in the movie is just like ah yes finally there's a reason for this wig being so awful <laughs> yeah it's like why would you pick that hairstyle of, if you could have any wig <laughs> yeah and also yeah and like the... even the wig the wig that he wears when he's in sweden <laughs> like it's just absurd oh my god mm. i just thought it was perfect especially with the personality of aaron and like all those wait oh, and then yeah like y'all said the reaction to the wigs too it was just wonderful like well played like whoever did the costume <laughs> directing because that was great yeah and I think as far as the um guest appearances as themselves um John McEnroe probably doesn't get enough credit he does a surprising amount of acting roles like because he's also in the Netflix series Never Have I Ever and it's like him doing the voiceover but he actually appears in an episode but in this, it's just like the sheer exasperation with tennis that you sometimes get from John McEnroe is like one of the best things about listening to a really bad tennis match because he's just like over poorly played tennis rather than like actually sick of the match. Mm. 
yeah no like his um his commentary is really good and yeah obviously he you know played the part in this movie as well and you know you can definitely tell that his sort of dialogue in this movie was sort of translated from how he is in real life and how he commentates and you know sort of analyzes tennis matches in real life yeah i completely agree y'all are kicking words out of my mouth right here like he would be the one i would want to have in this movie and it like it exceeded my expectations on how well he was just like broadcasting and just commentating over everything i just loved it like i'm literally speechless (laughs) uh and we might get to our last segment which is if you could have a tennis movie made, what would it be? And I'm going to start with saying uh, the past two weeks is what I would make into a tennis movie. Maybe we'll go all the way back to December 16th, but uh, the Novak Djokovic may be getting kicked out of Australia and then whatever the actual outcome is, that's a movie. It's like, I can't imagine that it doesn't get made into some sort of a movie. I saw on Twitter and I can't remember who said it, but it should be told kind of like either Spotlight or The Big Short from like a journalist perspective um, and that sort of thing, because there is some comedy in how journalists have been acting around Djokovic, maybe, maybe not getting kicked out of Australia. And then if he does get kicked out now, he's banned from the country for like three years. Okay, yeah. that's a long time. Yeah, there's some huge ramifications for this. Um, You know, we've sort of made the joke that this movie stretches out over seven days and we could have a movie about Djokovic which stretches out over, you know, three years. Um, (laughs) I need ESPN to make a 30-30 of this, like, with, like, the journalist's perspective too, just make, like, make it into, like, a series, like, The Last Dance. There's no way that this doesn't turn into something, like... It could come into t- like 30, um, 30 for 30 uh, could be in six months time and a like full blown movie that you can either do like I, Tonya style where it is that like pseudo mockumentary or just like different people retelling it, which also would be hilarious because I would want to see how Novak's family would be in this movie. Yeah. Um, it's just, there's so much you can do with this and it is just like, you can't make it up. Like if you were scripting this, you would get it thrown out by any movie studio but because it's happened in real life. It's now like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is a real movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a real possibility. I reckon someone will make it as well, yeah. Uh, I think for me, if we want to continue sort of the notion of, you know, tennis and in Australia and that sort of thing, uh, I feel like... I'd like to see a movie based on Leighton Hewitt. I feel like there's some endless sort of possibilities that you could explore with a movie about sort of his life and his growing up and his obviously tennis career. Um, I feel like just the idea that you can title the movie like Come On or something like that, that'll have, you know, great marketing um, potential. But I think more so with the story of just like his growing up and his playing and Um, becoming the youngest male in the ATP era to be ranked world number one in singles at the age of 20. Um, I think just sort of showcases how good he was, um, you know, sort of in the early 2000s and that sort of period leading up to becoming world number one. He won, you know, 30 singles titles, three doubles titles, He is the most recent Australian to win a men's singles Grand Slam title among his 30 singles titles, three doubles titles. Um, He only retired six years ago at the Australian Open as well. He made the second round there. And, 
yeah, I think it'd just be a really good story, really good cap um, idea to sort of cap off his career um, while it's still fresh in the memory of every Australian and every sort of tennis fan around the world. And obviously he's still involved in the sport. I think he still does coaching. He does commentary. So, you know, his, um, his memory will just continue to live on and hopefully through a movie as well would be really nice. See, I would love a movie or documentary or something about college tennis players and so American college tennis players in the NCAA because there's really not a lot of coverage of NCAA tennis and I'd love a kind of like last chance you type of like follow along like a school and like how they go with um, their tennis program how they deal with the NCAA but like an actual like maybe like division one school and not a junior college I think like that'd be really cool to have or maybe base a movie on like a college tennis program that like was really horrible at one point and then like how they emerged. I think like that would be something I would ideally want. And I feel like a lot of Americans would probably really enjoy that kind of movie and interpretation of what it could be with like the NCAA and being a college tennis athlete. Yeah, that's fair. And like, I mean, you've already had, there's already been a Billie Jean King movie. There's now two right. Venus and Serena movies. Like that sort of thing is very much like the untapped tennis market is probably college. And yeah, there's heaps of college sports movies, but tennis, I don't think's ever been touched at all. Like, at even really like high school level if there's been then it's been like maybe a handful and yeah I, or it's like a subplot <laughs> right it's not just anything that's like focused on just like college tennis i just feel like that would just be a cool addition to like seeing more perspectives as i mean i i just kind of like really like that and it could also get just like more people into tennis in general yeah and i mean if there's a movie that is out now currently that would get people into tennis that would be a uh, king richard <laughs> who yes. tells the story about venus and serena's dad and also them coming into tennis and being absolute superstars so it's like if you want to see a movie and you like tennis go see that <laughs> or just watch the australian open because apparently that is going to be like a movie with how much drama there's been in the lead up to it man that's gonna be nuts very keen <laughs> but uh what are your guys socials uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at jace herbs oh uh, you find me on twitter and instagram at l rosenberg 101 and you can find me on twitter and instagram at dozzy161 you can also find this podcast on twitter and instagram at goals on film pod uh goals on films are part of the edge of the crowd network where we write about sport and culture you can find edge of the crowd on tiktok instagram and twitter at edge of the crowd uh, we've got plenty of stuff coming out with the Australian Open and because it's been award season we've also got plenty of articles about movies if you want to see those thanks for listening and we'll see you next week